1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: What's your name in the front row there? Yeah. Jamie, I'm a feminist, but could you open my water for me? I, can't, I just can't do it. I'm just not interested at all, in thank you so much. I just struggle and struggle. I once had to ask a taxi driver to pull over because I was dehydrated and my hands were going red and I was virtually in tears trying to open a bottle of water. I have no strength in the hand, and that's not a good start for an episode of orgasms. LAUGHTER <laughs>
3: you've said that I feel as well something I feel guilty about is the fact that I didn't say this to you backstage but you've invited me on this particular episode and I know why because Deb knows a story about me and orgasms that I am going to tell you that she I agreed feel... to do
0: I mean to be fair
3: I haven't sprung it on her it
0: wasn't like I didn't say oh let's do it on handicrafts and then when she's out the back Although... orgasms
3: <laughs> I'd love to talk about handicrafts in many ways I will be um... <laughs> But I feel that my role today, in many ways, is representing the prude in a way. That's um, interesting. A bit. Like, I'll talk about what I'm going to talk about, but I do, as you may have noticed backstage, I was perfectly relaxed, and then we started actually talking about sex, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, we'll talk about what we're talking about, but I don't want to delve too far into it. Everyone's got their own ideas about it. Um, <laughs> so that will be my role today, will be to represent yeah. that section of the community that
0: may feel that way. You did go a bit Women's Institute at one point, I know. It's true. Do you want to go first? Yes, I'll go first. Good. Everything now sounds to me. It does, doesn't it? I'm going to come first. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but when I heard that John Hamm was dating Jenny Slate, I thought, wow... He's dating a brunette comedian, not a blonde supermodel. What a lovely man. I love him even more now. Like he's doing this incredibly talented, funny, bright, successful woman a favour by dating her and not a supermodel. What the fuck? My own brain. Oh, What a nice man to date one of the most successful women. I mean, uh, what? Like, I'm a feminist, but I
3: started trying to get out of the Women's March after 45 minutes because I found it a little bit claustrophobic. (laughs) It was a bit much. (laughs) It was very wonderful and empowering, but then there were just too many people and it was very loud (laughs) and I felt a bit enclosed and I tried to get out and it was very hard to leave because there were so many women. um, Clogging up the pathway. Blocking up the pathway and then I couldn't... (laughs) I couldn't even get an Uber. Because <laughs> the roads were
0: blocked. Were you trying to Uber your way out of a march? No. No. I'm a feminist, but when I heard that John Hamm was dating brunette comedian Jenny Slate, I thought, oh, fuck, he was accessible. I didn't... Who saw that coming, though? I didn't see it coming. I didn't know I would have made more of an effort. I would have tried I would have given it a good go if I'd known that. I'm a feminist, but
3: I find me... <laughs> Sorry. I don't know Okay, I'll just say it. I'm a feminist, but I find men fixing things like shelves and opening water bottles a huge turn on. <laughs> What's your name? Jamie, I've remembered.
0: Jamie. <laughs> Uh, Handy men. Handy (laughs) men.
3: Well, it demonstrates. You know, I said I was going to be the prude on the show. Mm. I'm literally just talking about men fixing shelves, and I'm actually (laughs) blushing.
0: (laughs) Ah, (laughs) handy men. Oh, Oh, that's interesting. Are you single, Jamie? Okay. Are you with your partner here tonight? Okay, so this has just got a little bit awkward. No. Were you also slightly aroused when... Your boyfriend Jamie opened my water in such a manly way. No,
4: no you've no. seen
0: it before. <laughs> seen it all before. You've seen him open water loads of times. If this is time. what he does in public, think what he does at home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I heard that John Hamm was dating Jenny Slate, I decided not to read anything about it because it could be made up, and it's just salacious celebrity gossip. And then I read all of it. <laughs> like every single thing I could find. I mean, it's probably not even true. They probably just went to a movie together because they're making a movie together or something and they were like, oh, we should see this. And then on the way out, he just put his arm around her to be chivalrous and guide her. Chivalrous. I mean, again, I mean, in a mad many sort of way. He just sort of got away from the paparazzi. I don't know. It's probably not even true. It's like you were just writing really tame erotica. <laughs> That's the kind of erotica I write. That's my fan fiction. It's basically... My porn is just really men in well-cut suits. Um, really, I don't... Oh, find... I don't go for a suit. Uh, well, I, okay, how about this? Different tastes. A man in a kilt playing with a puppy. <laughs> Strongly agree. Do you agree. know what I mean? Strongly agree. Um, a man in a naval uniform oh. playing a grand piano. <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? Yes, we yeah. do, okay. and I like it. White tie... Smoking a French cigarette <laughs> on a garden gate. <laughs> These are my fantasies. None of them involve nudity. Okay, firemen. Oh, holding a baby. <laughs> it's oh. the standard one. I know it's not exactly niche, is it? No, it's not niche. There's hardly any puppy kilt calendars. We should make one. Who, Jamie? Would you be in a puppy kilt if we needed Call you to? If we needed you to, would you do a puppy kilt calendar, Mister July? If the puppies were cute, high standard
3: of puppies. Mm.
0: I'm a feminist, but I would
3: almost certainly have plastic surgery as long as no one found out about it.
0: (laughs) (gasps) That makes me think you've already done it. (laughs)
3: Oh no! (laughs) How
0: annoying would that be if people thought that you had and you hadn't even had? Would you have plastic surgery? Face,
3: but thighs, (laughs) bum. What? Anywhere really. Uh, Just a bit. (laughs) but not yet no not yet in like two years or something I mean
0: that is how. I hope you really wouldn't because you're beautiful do you know my husband has said to me the only thing that would make me leave you is you having plastic surgery anything else would be fine or I could fit anything else but if you cut open your beautiful body I couldn't bear it and he said I would nurse you back to health and then I would go because I couldn't couldn't bear the idea that you cut open your beautiful body and I said, Tom, let's get real. If you came home and found me in bed with my plastic surgeon, you wouldn't leave.
4: <laughs>
0: That's our <a> joke. <laughs> it's a very healthy marriage. <laughs> I'm not actually planning on being in bed with my plastic surgeon when he comes home. I would definitely do it when I knew he was out. And <laughs> do it in a, a hotel, I don't know, it, at the surgery. <laughs> Why am I bringing him home? There's no need. Also, I don't think a plastic surgeon would be very turned on by you because he or she, she... She with the plastic surgeon was a woman all along. <laughs> and you didn't see that coming, did you? know? You heteronormative <laughs> people who assumed it was a man, wasn't a man. I am having a lesbian love affair with my plastic surgeon, and we're very happy. So many revelations tonight. <laughs> so many revelations. None of that has happened. Live from the Underbelly. Yeah. Today in the shop, presents the Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White, guest yes host Rachel Paris, and very special guest Alex Fox, talking about orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as twenty-first century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Okay, great. Um So, orgasms. Yes. What was your challenge, Rachel? My challenge. It's a challenge that I actually set myself when I was
3: 24 and now I'm not um, so basically a bit of background to uh, the challenge that I'm going to talk about so I didn't have an orgasm for six years it was the first six years to be clear not of my life <laughs> <laughs> that... that wouldn't be a story would it um... Of, uh, of having sex, so like I started having sex when I was 18 and then I carried on having sex, just endemically. And then um, and then it wasn't until I was uh, 24 that I had an orgasm. And I wasn't faking it and I was sort of having like a fair bit of sex, like short relationships, like a couple of one night stands. Um, and I wasn't faking it, although I look back and I wonder if what I was doing in those years could have been misconstrued as faking it. <laughs> Because, you know, a few of us have had sex here, haven't we? About a third of the audience has had sex. So, you know, if you have had sex, like, it does cause you to make some... Even if you're not in the middle of an orgasm, it does cause you to make some noise, doesn't it? You know, it does, doesn't it? Like, if if someone comes along and, like, you know, puts a peanut up your nose... ..or a hula hoop on your finger... Whatever the metaphor is, you know, you're like, oh... there. It might never come out. Good, it? <laughs> so I was making noise. I was making noise. It's not like I handed these like, men a card at the end, a laminated card that said I categorically did not have an orgasm just now. <laughs> I've had them made. But... Um... <laughs> So, I hadn't had an orgasm, because I didn't know what female orgasm, uh, how it worked, or what it was, or that it was a thing. Because, like, when I was growing up, I don't know about any of you, but, like, at school, like, in education, like you say, all they talked about was how not to get pregnant, which I continue to absolutely nail. (laughs) Um, Like, they didn't talk about female orgasm at all. They didn't say that it was, A, a thing that existed, the words literally weren't said by anyone, or B, a thing that doesn't happen automatically, because, obviously, it doesn't happen automatically for... I know some women come very quickly and very easily, and that's wonderful. You know, statistically, three of you are coming right now. Um, and if you are, do tweet Deborah afterwards. Um, but for a lot of women, it's something you need to practice, you know, to get comfortable with your body and find out what works for you. Something you need to practice just sort of like by yourself over years and learn how it all works, like Etch-A-Sketch or something. LAUGHTER um, so anyway, I was 24. There wasn't any particular event that made me do this. It was just like enough is enough. I do remember my flatmates were away <laughs> for a few days, so I kind of had the flat to myself. I didn't know what I thought I was going to do. Um, so I went to buy a vibrator from Anna Summers, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> sort of like a punk Helen Mirren would like, come up and uh, you'd be looking at the vibrators on the wall. She'd say things, critiques of the models that I didn't even understand. Like, Thorough. I understood that one or um, robust or uh, surprising did don't know how surprising you wanted to be but um, anyway I bought a vibrator and I took it home and I actually booked uh, two days off work because <laughs> I didn't know how long it would take because it had been six years it had been six years so I thought why am I thinking that like in a few hours I'm going to crack this when it's been six years so I booked two days off work. I didn't need both of those days, <laughs> it turns out. What I definitely did need was a vibrator. Like, I think I definitely, for that first hurdle, I needed, like, something a bit more intense to sort of, like, take me over the edge and something that when I think you would just take your hand away, you know, you'd just be like, "Oh Because I can't remember, I don't know, like, you're, obviously, I don't know your history, guys. I haven't researched it. <laughs> if you can remember, like, before you have got used to having an orgasm, it's a bit a strange feeling, like a little bit too intense sometimes, and that is the point where I would stop, always stop or push someone's hand away or leave the room Um, (laughs) anyway, so I did it, I got a vibrator and I just kept going and kept going and there were moments where I would just stop and be like, I don't like it I don't like it, but for, ow, it took about like, four hours not constantly (laughs) Not constantly on, but have kind of stopped starting, did stopped starting. you have
0: starting. to change the batteries a couple of
3: times? That's <laughs> what I would think. No, it was a brand new toy. The battery life was incredible. <laughs> but I did it and I was just so incredibly relieved because I had... I definitely thought that I was broken, that I just never would. I thought I would just be one of those women who just never, you ever just would. You just couldn't.
0: You just had to teach yourself. How did men respond, like, if you were dating someone new, did you yes, say?
3: Yes, yes. If I was in a relationship after, like, a couple of months or something, I'd say, to try and take the pressure off, I'd say, just so you know, like, I never have, <laughs> doesn't take the pressure off, <laughs> doesn't it? Then you become, like, a bench that needs fixing. Um, Which don't... Jamie would enjoy, <laughs> Yeah. <probably>. yeah. <laughs> Um, You felt a bit like a sort of UNICEF outreach mission then. Um, but um, Would they kind of go, oh, "Oh, oh, I can do it there. I'll be the guy to do it. Don't you worry. And they weren't. I
0: was.
3: (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, So it's actually kind of just getting to know your own body and spending time with yourself on your own without the pressure. I love the fact that you booked two days off work because psychologically... (laughs) Then you've got the time, haven't you? I think sometimes if you say, "Well, this might take two days," then you don't get frustrated with yourself in the first two hours. Yeah, think,
3: I think that is a huge part of it. Is that I knew, and I think that happens in sex, doesn't it? When you feel like there's any pressure from uh, any, oh, going like, away to a nice falls. hotel, sometimes. Like, oh God! Yeah. yeah,
0: you know when you've got a, like a mini break or something. And the hotel's gone to a lot of effort to make it sexy. And
3: you've got one night to have the best sex ever. Yeah, exactly. And you can't have it any other night and then the night. So, so yeah, time pressure. You've paid for it. That's
0: the problem. (laughs) You've sort of paid for the extra nice suite. So, if we don't have good sex here, we're just bad at sex. Yeah. (laughs) You put a curse on the hotel. (laughs) It's exactly right. And I think sometimes we get frustrated if we can't do things straight away. Yeah, And then we think, I'm no good, and we attach the ego to the act, whatever that act is. But it's hard to take orgasms not personally.
3: Yes, it is. It really is, though, seriously. Like, the relationships that I've been in since then, even though now, like, I know more about myself and I have orgasms, which is great, but it's still not easy. Mm. And there is an assumption always at the beginning of a relationship, if someone can't please you immediately in that way like themselves without any help and I'm always like I'm very happy to help (laughs) I'm a very helpful person (laughs) and it doesn't turn me off to do that but there's an idea of like if it doesn't happen immediately then it never will and Mm. that's so obviously that is
0: not (laughs) true Uh, would you like to hear a song from Rachel Paris oh yeah then please put your hands together and make general woohooing noises that are in no way orgasmic for the wonderful Rachel Paris! Thank
3: you. This is is a song uh, about sex more generally. It's not specifically about me getting myself off at home. Um, This is just a general song uh, about sex for some people. See how you feel about it. Thank you, Tom.
4: It's a
3: very sexy song, that's what well. I should have mentioned it. I walk into your bedroom and I ask you to turn out the light. Cause my tummy's bloated from the lamb kebab that we ate at the end of the night. It's also so bloated cause I'm premenstrual, that's the reason why I got the sweats. But don't knock being premenstrual, that's the reason why I wanna have sex hormones you know yeah we're getting low down really low down we're getting low you're falling off the bed and i'm shuffling around trying to make some room and then i kick you in the back of the head sorry but now we're going yeah shirt comes off now we're doing it mm. trousers off now we're getting to it shoes and socks off this takes five four minutes double knot double knot And I'm sitting naked watching you remove your clothes and have a five-minute reverie about how the concept of stripping for straight men and straight women is just insane to me because not many women get turned on by just a man stripping. It's not inherently sexy. If anything, it's clownish, come hilarious. Whereas some men pay to watch averagely attractive ladies just remove their clothes with varying degrees of choreography. And often none at all. Then I think about sexism, and then I think about the patriarchy. Hmm, And now you're naked! (laughs) totally naked except for your knee support <laughs> slow it down, slow it down down, slow it down, slow stop. Just, stop, just stop, just stop it's gonna take some time it might take 40 minutes or more for me to get mine but you could put a condom on without me asking you to it's clearly the most sensible thing to do I don't want a tiny U or an STI love it when you do that but you're on my thigh get off my thigh Now you're talking about whipped cream. So soon whipped cream all over my bedroom. They sing about it in songs, but it feels so wrong. And after a while it goes off and the sheets smell like yogurt. (laughs) And not in a good way. (laughs) And don't tell me, by the way, you have to send off to the USA for Trojans in your size. I've got eyes, I can see what's between your thighs. It's perfectly nice, but don't tell lies. Don't you realise I wouldn't lie about the size of mine. I would choose not to talk about it. <laughs> ah, mm, ah, 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 That was the sound of us making love. Mm, yeah, it was really nice. We've done it twice and that's enough. <laughs> And when we're done, you don't have to hold me all night long. I'm very aware that your arm will go dead, and it's not that comfortable for me either. Let's just hug for five minutes, and then sleep in our own space. Now that's what I call satisfaction. Yeah. Thank you very much. to the stage, Deborah Francis White.
0: There's no need to do non-musical comedy now. I feel like I want to improvise a song. I must not do that. I sometimes think, it's my biggest wonder actually, that we don't talk about this more often, but that men have a part of their body that moves without their permission. (laughs) I mean, that is weird, isn't it? Actually, I'm going to say cisgendered men have a part of their body. I'm only talking from my own experience at the moment, my own experiences with cisgendered men. And they have a part of their body that moves without their permission. And I sometimes think, imagine if you were at a party and as a cis woman and you're at a party and you're talking to a man or a woman... And you're thinking, oh, they're cute. And then your arm just started to go up like that and just wouldn't go down. It just wouldn't, no matter what you did, you couldn't get your arm down. Like, that is, I mean, that is a disability. That deserves special parking. I honestly think if that had happened to women we would have all been burnt as witches in the Middle Ages, (laughs) all of us. To have a part of your body that moves when you don't want it to and doesn't move when you do. (laughs) Like, there's no part of my body like that. So I find it a really odd thing. And because also for me, I can't just see an image of, like, a penis or something like that, an erect penis, and then get aroused by that. Like, what men tell me is they can see a picture of breasts and they get a physical response. Something changes in them. And I find that a really odd concept because I have to think quite hard. I have to have sort of multiple storylines. Like, my storylines have to be... I mean, they don't have to be as good as Breaking Bad or anything, but there has to be an A plot and a B plot going on. Like, I have to really think of it in my mind. I can't... No image is ever going to just arouse me on its own. And likewise, with an orgasm, I have to be in the right place in my head. So basically what I'm saying is I can't do it accidentally. And also, for me personally, it's all very neat and tidy and inside of me, so I can have an orgasm without you knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I um. Uh, We We talked about this on another episode, but I never really sort of talked about the story that a friend of mine was on a plane. She'd just been seeing this really hot guy and then she got on the plane and it was like six hours to New York. And it was a long time if you've just been seeing a hot guy and she was thinking about sort of getting back to see him and she was really bored on the plane, as you are. And she said, so I just thought, I'll just do it. And I said, well, who was next to you? She said, it was a guy. So She said, he was a really handsome man and that really helped. <laughs> and I said, did the guy next to you realise? And she said, no, I don't think so. She said, I had a blanket over my lap. And I just, in my mind, imagined cut to, oh, 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 oh. I just keep having this image of her like really dramatically coming on this plane. But she says it was incredibly discreet and that she was able to orgasm without him knowing Now, I reckon he suspected something. So I'm going to ask you now, if you've ever suspected the person next to you on a plane has had an orgasm, could you just go, hmm, nobody here suspects anyone next to them on a plane has ever had an orgasm? Okay, so it's definitely possible to do it without anyone realising them, because clearly people have done it. But men can't as much. I know this because a friend of mine's a flight attendant, And she said, in business class, they have to ask men to stop all the time. Yeah, it's one of their main jobs. That's what she told me, is the main job is to go and say, excuse me, sir, no. (laughs) Whereas women in business class clearly can, because... I mean, I think as long as you're by the window, don't do it on the aisle. But if you're by the window and busy, you absolutely clearly could because it does take very minimal movement. And this is one of the things, the patriarchy gets nearly all of the good things and women often get that sort of second-class citizen, you know, whatever's left over. But in terms of orgasms, no. Um, These are some things that the patriarchy forgot to steal. You can do it discreetly. You can do it anywhere you don't need uh, you can sort of almost if you're very good at like kegels you know where you clench if you don't know what this is it's sort of where you clench to keep yourself tight (laughs) you could almost do it just with sort of a kegel-like movement against a piece of cloth I think I don't know I haven't personally done that but I imagine that you could There's various ways in which I think we have definitely got the upper hand. And one of them is masturbation. And the other one has just gone out of my head because I've just got off an 11-hour flight from L.A. Jamie, could you just entertain them while I think of it? Um, Oh, I've remembered! (laughs) Thank God. We can do it as many times as we like. We can keep coming and coming and coming and coming. The idea, if somebody told me tomorrow, if I was in a body-swapping movie with Jamie and then tomorrow I ended up in his body, the thing that would make me the saddest is you can only come once and then you have to wait to refuel (laughs) like a plane
4: where you have
0: to do a stopover. Like, I could just get from here to Australia in one go. You have to stop in Hong Kong. Thank you very much. Our guest today is a multi-award winning journalist, broadcaster and sex educator. She's a sex and relationships expert for Durex, an ambassador for Brooke, the sexual health advisory charity and was named Sex Educator of the Year in 2016. Please welcome to the stage Alex Fox. Hello, Hello. superhumans. Hello, Alex. Uh, So, orgasms. If we're having a problem having an orgasm, is there any advice that you can give us?
5: Unfortunately, there are a trillion, zillion, gazillion reasons why an orgasm might not come on demand. One of the things I hear about a lot these days are people struggling to orgasm because they're taking SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. My God, that was a mouthful. (laughs) And and trust me, I give a lot of mouthfuls. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hi, Mum! Hi, Dad! Yeah, a lot more people these days are taking antidepressants And whatever gender you are, they can, although they can elevate your mood and make life a lot easier in lots of other ways, they can make it very, very difficult to orgasm. I actually recently spoke to a wonderful girl in the States called Krista, who had this very problem. She found that SSRIs were doing wonders for her day-to-day life, but they put her bedroom activity right down in the doldrums. Her virgin just was not dancing the flamenco like it used to.
0: (laughs) And that was antidepressants? Yes. Like something like Prozac or something yes, like that? Yes, yeah,
5: exactly. Um, fluoxetine. And in an attempt to try and make herself orgasm again, she tried a huge variety of sex toys. And the one that she found that worked for her was a very appropriately named magic wand. Now, I don't know who here in the audience has seen a magic wand before, but it's quite a hefty-looking <laughs> bit of kit. Yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where if you take it to bed with... you, You know, if you keep it by the bed... If there was a robber in the middle of the night, you would be well armed. (laughs) Lots of them are mains powered. I've got one, in
0: fact. Is is this a toy?
5: It's a toy. It's, It's a very, very strong vibrator, and that worked for her. But during her quest, she tried lots of other vibrators, some of which weren't so successful for her, so she experimented with other ways to use them. And she actually discovered that if you're suffering from a migraine or if you have blocked sinuses... Just running a small bullet vibrator around your eyes and over your face can release phlegm quite nicely. Although you do look like you're wanking off your own head. Okay, so toys in general... If there was going to be a headline
3: for this podcast episode, wanking off your own head, that's got to be it. Surely, yeah, if this was Alan
0: Davies' untitled, I think we'd have just found our title. So you were saying earlier to me that there's a stigma about big toys... Yeah, I'm straight
5: myself, straighter than Roman Road, which I think a lot of people find quite disappointing, actually. I think there's quite a lot of... I'm um... certainly
0: disappointed, <laughs> as I'd imagined an after-party, and this is, this is a terrible way to tell me. Sorry, go on.
5: Well, I think there is actually... I think there's a lot of pressure on... I, I should say, I don't really like the name spurt. I prefer sex spurt because that's how most of us came into being in the first place, right? But yeah, I think there's quite a lot of pressure on sex experts to necessarily love all of the things that they talk about or to have experienced everything, and that's impossible for just one person, so it's part of my job to talk to other people about their experiences and what makes them experts and uh, recently, I spoke to a lot of women who have sex with women, and they quite rightly pointed out that a lot of females are told, "Yeah, it's empowering and great to have a sex toy." but make sure it's not too threateningly big, because if it's the size of a bollard or a Pringles can and you have a male partner, then they're going to feel terribly emasculated by this. So make sure it's tiny and feminine and discreet. Uh, And the women I spoke to said, no, make sure it's fuck off and big and it does the job. Hence, I invested in the British equivalent of a Hitachi magic wand, which is a doxy vibrator, this thing's got some heft. In fact, I'm surprised I don't have one bicep significantly bigger than the other through using this thing. It's
0: mains-powered and... It's mains-powered? What, like a drill? It's a power tool, yeah. I thought that would be wow. too much. I think I'd get a bit
5: into, like... What? Well, I do have two... Con- I have three concerns about this, actually. For a start... It works so well that I think I have become mildly addicted and quite used to the the level of power that my doxy provides. And this is the light dip, people. Okay? The second thing that I'm worried about is I think I am actually starting to make myself concave down there. (laughs) (laughs) And the third thing I have concerns about
4: are.
5: (laughs) I moved house in January and I now share with a flatmate, so I have to tactically wank when he's out because I'm not a subtle wanker in any way. The audience will know I'm not a subtle wanker. I've got neon hair. I look like Lisa Simpson finally hit middle age. I look like I live too close to Sellafield. Uh, So there's nothing subtle about me. But, yeah, the toys I like to use can be quite loud... Uh, And I thought I was being discreet enough to get away with it until the neighbour mentioned that there was quite a lot of noise and I said, oh, we've got builders in remodelling the kitchen and now the neighbour keeps asking to
0: see the new kitchen. Do you sound like a kitchen remodel? Because that's a very specific sex noise, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you were talking
5: about women not making noise or not making noise during sex before. This applies to people with penises too. In fact, I used to date someone who um, suffered with depression and he took SSRIs and they had that same effect on him that they made it quite difficult for him to ejaculate. When he did... The sensation was so overwhelming that he couldn't stop himself from making noise, and my nickname for him was Thundercat, because <laughs> I don't know any, whether anyone remembers Thundercats, but you know Lino used to go Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats, ho! <laughs> Every time,
4: <laughs>
5: like a bear being stabbed with a trident. <laughs> You should definitely trust my advice. I'd like to thank all the brands that work with me. I really think I'm upholding their name.
0: You talked in an article about things we could learn from, like, that everybody, queer and straight, can learn from the queer community. Sure. What are those things? What can we learn from the queer community?
5: Well, one of them, as I've just said, is don't be afraid to pick the toys that work for you rather than the toys that you think won't intimidate somebody else. Pick what makes you feel pleasure rather than being too concerned about putting on a show. If you are worried that your partner might be intimidated by a toy you want to use, try like giving that power to them. I've found that saying, oh, you know, this Magic Wand toy, it can get me off through my clothes. And suddenly they feel like a magic cunt conjurer <laughs> who can perform incredible feats. Other things that I've learned from LGBTQ friends and experts, one of my dearest friends is a male dominant called Master Dominic, and he's taught me all sorts, including the fact that, uh, perhaps rather obviously, gay men tend to be less squicked out by the idea of anal play than some straight people do. He made the very good point that playing around with someone's butt when you were saying, I'm a feminist butt before, I was thinking, I have a feminist butt. <laughs> um, and it's very widescreen. Um, he made the point that butt play doesn't have to be penetrative. You don't have to put anything inside of anything, in fact, for it to be good sex. You can go all around the, all round a round of roses, in fact. ring <laughs> a ring of roses Other things that I have been taught are, recently I've been really looking into toys for people with penises. Because I think, although it's seen as quite a standard, empowered, but quite normalised thing these days for most people with vaginas to own a toy, you know, quite frankly, my bedside drawer looks like Watership Down. There are so many dead rabbits in there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And no-one so far has commented on this. Um, But if you... (laughs) But if a cisgendered man says that he has a toy... I think people either seem to assume that he is some incredibly intense Christian Grey type who's got mm. a dungeon lurking where the washing machine used to be or that he is some kind of loner who lives with his parents and is too socially inept to get a girlfriend and so he has a disembodied vagina in a vase um, or some nice. other kind of Ed guyne esque <laughs> vagina. A vase would make it worse, though.
0: Yeah, it, it would. It would that be, not, yeah. That's a leap of assumptions, but... <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean that women are allowed to go into Anne Summers or Harmony or wherever you go. Uh huh. And buy the vibrator, but if a man did it
3: for men, it's, it's a lot
5: more stigmatized in the that's UK. That's really
0: true.
3: You are, yeah. You see, some, well, I don't, know, I don't know what's on the market, but like when you see like some of the toys for men in like in Soho and stuff, you're like, oh my god, mm. who would buy that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, like, that's there is a that very interesting.
0: Although a friend of mine started dating a guy who brought out a dildo from his previous relationship and wanted to put it in her, and she was like, "Fuck the fuck off!" Like, <laughs> if you want to use a dildo, then you have to buy a new one. That's the minimum requirement. <laughs> Which I think, fair. Yes. Fair. That
5: is quite politically sensitive, though, because some sex toys cost an arm and a leg, whether they're the size of an arm or a leg. Some of the, some, of the, even some of the very tiny ones are very
0: expensive. That is true. They are so, crazy expensive.
5: Plus, ecology. Recycling.
0: Good for yeah. the world, not so... Good okay, for the yeah, no, I just... No, I hear what you're saying, but I still would feel like the thing is i could take my vibrator from relationship to relationship it only goes in me i don't want this is we're off topic Um, (laughs) you you don't want to be penetrated
5: with a thing that has been inside somebody else's oh shit
0: i've forgotten about the penis (laughs) of course oh
5: there is a bit of a failure
0: of logic there that is so true you, uh, that Head, is so Headline true. number two for this episode. Uh, yeah, I've <laughs> forgotten exactly. about the penis. I've forgotten about the penis. But he can't really go to Ann Summers <laughs> and get a new, I mean, if he could, I'd make him. Um, Ann <laughs> Summers is very reasonably priced. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for him to have a new Ann Summers penis. Um, Do
5: you know, speaking of new penises, I give advice on a variety of podcasts And one of them recently, I I get a lot of letters from men who have been circumcised, cisgendered men who have been circumcised, who are worried that the sensitivity of their penis has been compromised as a result. And lots of them ask me ways that they can restore sensitivity. And you can get these little... Hats, like little nylon hats, like caps that go yeah. on the end of penises, yeah, that you wear to restore sensitivity. But there are people looking into the use of stem cells to regrow foreskins. And you can potentially have a skin graft from elsewhere on your body to create a new foreskin too.
0: Good to know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Um, you said there were 70 ways that we could orgasm, that a woman could orgasm. What are those ways? <laughs>
5: This was actually something I heard from a lady called Catherine Dunworth, who is an expert in Tantra. She works for a company called Venus Women, and I met her on a panel talk recently. Catherine said that studying Tantra has taught her that there are over 70 different erogenous zones on a woman's body that can be stimulated to purportedly cause an orgasm. And two of these that I found the most Well, I'm going to say eyebrow raising. I think my eyebrows raised so far that they actually, they may as well have been attached to helium balloons. They started to float off my head. The first one she said was urethral orgasm, which involves stimulating a lady's wee hole. And she also said you could take that one step further and have a urinary orgasm where you actually force yourself to do a little bit of pee when you feel an orgasm coming on and that can enhance the sensation. I would pre-warn your partner uh, if if you're going to do a little bit of dribble mid-moment. But the one that really made me sort of cross my legs so many times that they started to look like jeans was, uh, you know, like a double helix, that kind of effect. Uh, Was she said that some women can orgasm by having a partner actually penetrate the opening of their cervix either with a finger Or a penis. Or a toy. And I don't know whether anyone here has ever accidentally bashed their cervix.
0: Jesus Christ. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. It's Uh, pretty full on. Tell us about orgasmic meditation. Ooh.
5: Now, (sighs) that's probably one of my orgasm noises, by the way. Ooh. Um, Orgasmic meditation is a practice whereby... Women get together and are touched either by another woman, but usually by a man, uh, stroked in a very specific way on the clitoris for 15 minutes precisely. And the idea is that it's a goalless exercise. The point of it isn't to try and reach orgasm, but just to feel whatever you're feeling and to let those feelings open up and develop and ride that wave, take that journey wherever it may take you. (laughs) So are they other uh,
3: so many questions. Um, are the men just uh, st- they haven't met before? They just it's a strange man that they don't know. Well, a very apparently... well qualified but still strange man.
5: Apparently since I tried it, I tried it as part of an article that I was writing, apparently since I tried it and on the basis of my experiences, the way that the foundation who teach orgasmic meditation, hold their classes and workshops has been changed because unfortunately my experience was quite traumatic. I should probably warn people in the room that some people may find this a little triggering. I certainly did. You pay uh, several hundred pounds to go and hear someone tell you how great OM or or orgasmic meditation is for around six hours, okay. There's a lot, long so time. So, is the that tantric bit the talking? Uh, well, <laughs> they just play sting at you over and over <laughs> again. Six hours of talking. Six, well, there's also a demonstration where a woman and her male partner, who've been practicing for a long time, do this in front of you. She hitches up her skirts, she gets a foof out for the world to see, and he strokes it, and she makes the kind of noises that suggest that better things are going on in her undercarriage. than you know, it's like it's like. Like a Live
0: Aid concert or something was going down there. And that's performative? It's more didactic? It's more demonstration? It's
5: a demonstration, but I think the person in question that I saw genuinely was having a wonderful time. So you've had six hours of convincing, you've seen two other people perform this amazing act in front of you and you're really intrigued, and then you're told that you have to pair up if you feel comfortable with somebody else in the room in order to practice this. And, yes, most of them were strangers. Oh, what I, I thought didn't... it was like an expert. No, no. In fact, when I went, and this was several years ago, they have a policy that the teachers are not allowed to touch the pupils because that would be seen as uh, potentially something that could be used
4: using, yeah. using in a yeah. damaging the way. way.
5: That Yeah, you, the, the it, way it could be exploitative. You, you, yeah, yeah, the
0: yeah. way that, yeah, having an affair with a college professor or something yeah.
5: like yeah. that, yeah. So you have to pair up with someone in the room, if you so desire. There is the opportunity to say no. But after six hours and a demonstration and the financial incentive that you may well have paid several hundred pounds to be there, there's actually quite a lot of coercive pressure to go ahead with it. What I didn't know is that everybody else in the room had already been to a previous kind of meet and greet and get to know each other apart from a me networking so event. yeah so they'd all kind of previously the kicked their oh, partners I hate networking yeah. events at the
0: best of times <laughs> but that's pressure isn't it do they give you a name badge and half a glass of warm white wine like at normal networking events
5: everyone had already checked out everyone else's linkedin pages yeah. I Oh, think yeah. so oh. I ended up with the one person in the room who I had mentally pegged as the one I really didn't want to get together with
0: Absolutely um, could not do that. Absolutely could not do that. That is awful. That is really. There was also some journalistic pressure on me. Of course, to of ahead course. I'm this, not so. saying you shouldn't have done it. I'm just, go, I'm just having a. Sort I of don't visceral... think I
5: should have done it. I don't think I'm, I should have done I'm it. I'm having
0: a visceral tightening. Yes. Um, which actually brings us to. Um, I can never say this word. Vag... Vaginismus. 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 It always sounds like an orgasm at Christmas to me. <laughs> Happy Vaginismus! Get the fairy lights out. I think it it sounds like a
5: rodent. Like, Dormouse, Vaginismus. Oh,
0: that's interesting. For me, it sounds like all my Christmases have come at once. But it doesn't mean that.
5: (laughs) No, quite the opposite, in fact. Vaginismus is a condition whereby it's partly psychological, but it becomes physical, It involves a woman's vaginal muscles clamping up with such force that penetration with anything, be it a tampon, a finger, a penis, a toy, anything becomes so painful that it's pretty much impossible. And the reasons that lead to a woman being stricken with this condition can be extremely complicated. They can be linked to trauma. You know how you clench up sometimes when you're worried or nervous or stressed about something? Some people get so clenched up in their minds about something sexual that their body reacts in kind. And then that can be very difficult to undo that tightness even when you want to later in your life. And one of my podcast, Close Encounters for The Guardian, I talked to people about their sex and relationships and their sexual lives. And the very first episode, in fact, I spoke to a woman who was from quite an Orthodox Greek background And as a young person, she'd seen many of her female relatives who were vibrant, charismatic, vivacious young women settle down in marriages and in her eyes be confined to the kitchen and dulled and compressed and repressed as people. So she began to associate the process of growing up with the loss of her liberty and she became very, very frightened about growing up. Uh, She said that when she went through puberty, when she started her periods, she went to bed and just decided she was going to try and block it out. She did not want to grow older. When she hit her 20s and decided that actually she was quite happy being a grown-up and that she'd like to start a sexual relationship, she found that this fear of growing older had been internalised to the point where her vagina had clamped up. And she was kind enough to tell me about all the things that she had tried to unlock and unblock herself. In the end, she had a lot of success seeing a specialist therapist called Sarah Berry, who I cannot, I just cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, She runs several workshops and support groups. She used to do coffee mornings and things called Fanny's Rule, where women would get together and talk about their undercarriages and the potential challenges that can arise henceforth from such things. But one thing that this interviewee told me that really shocked me was that she did some internet research into vaginismus and she found uh, various chat rooms where people were discussing it. One woman, in an attempt to numb the pain that was being caused by her attempts to have intercourse with her partner, had used Bonjella on her vagina to try and desensitise it. Mm. This is something we need to talk about more. Mm. People are using oral gels on their lady gardens in an attempt to solve these issues. And
0: Yeah, well, this is really it's why it's a feminist issue, isn't it? There's been a long history of the male orgasm being prioritised. And it's partly because in order to procreate, you need a penis to ejaculate, but you actually don't need a clitoral orgasm yeah. in order to have a yeah. baby. So I think there have been whole generations where it was seen as sort of slightly unseemly. And
3: I think when we talk about it as well, I always think when I was talking about it, because I talked about it in my show last year, like talking about women finding orgasm difficult, it's obviously like I've very much first-handedly... I know that men can find orgasm difficult as well. Obviously, that sort of is a given. I know that that's the case, but I do think that there's more of the case of women finding yeah.
0: orgasm oh, well, difficult. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, the other thing, we can fake it. And I know we shouldn't fake it, probably, should we, Alex?
5: Hmm. People with penises do fake it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, In fact, to a larger degree than you might expect because there is pressure to ejaculate. Sometimes if people are just too tired or if they're struggling... How do they
0: fake it, though? Because can you not tell? If
5: someone's wearing a condom... Then they can just whip it 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 out. Uh, If they're not... I'm sorry, this is really gross, but I have heard from several men who said that while they were having sex doggy style, so from behind, they pulled out and spat on their partner's Oh! Oh.
0: Questions from the audience! (laughs) Anyone got a question?
5: A a good answer, though, to the idea of should you fake it... Mm. no uh, pretending to have an orgasm really just repeats a negative feedback loop because the person you're with will think you're having a wonderful time so they'll keep on doing the same things and you'll never reach orgasm fill. however going through the motions of squeezing your body and breathing in a way that you would when you do come can actually bring an orgasm on so that's so, more like a fake it till you
0: make it Yeah. so do the things with your body but don't do them for your partner do them in order to sort of Suggest to your body this is where you'd like to go. I think we're just trying to get a mic down there for questions. Hi. Hi. Firstly,
6: Deborah, I'm the girl with the chocolate. Hey! (laughs) My partner. Sorry,
0: on Twitter. What's your name?
6: My name is Catherine.
0: Catherine. On Twitter, Catherine said, I own a chocolate shop. Can (gasps) I bring you some chocolate?
6: I have chocolate for you too as well, although I didn't know who was going to be here, so I just have an, a, a range that I can distribute. <laughs> I, I am not <laughs> complaining. That is the greatest...
3: <laughs> so
0: brilliant. Yeah. So, Catherine has brought something better than orgasms yeah. to the table. Yeah. Well done, Catherine.
6: My partner takes fourteen. I was very relieved to hear you talk about it because it's the thing that dominates my sexual life. Just talking to the mic. Yeah. The... Other side of that is I have almost exactly the opposite problem to you, which is that everything down there is really close together. And Um, I can come without touching myself. Wow. And have done embarrassingly so (laughs) on trains, on planes, on buses. Buses is the biggest one. I'm not shy about it. I've been doing this since I was eight. I have a relationship with someone who I am completely sexually incompatible with because I can be finished to the point of like pain within five minutes. And I was wondering if you have come across that before or if you have any tips.
0: <laughs> Alex, this is very much your department.
5: You're absolutely not alone. It's less common, I must admit, for people with vaginas to find it easier to orgasm than not but you're certainly not the first person I've, I've come across, so to speak, uh, who's said that they can orgasm so easily that... Um, do you ever get bored? Does it become non-sexual because you can come so often and with such regularity?
6: I find it difficult to connect orgasms with having sex. Because they happen in Sainsbury's or, you know? And because it happened to me when I was a child. And I wasn't having sex, and I didn't have sex till I was about 16, 17. And it's something that happened for 10 years before I started having sex and before anything like that happened to me. Also, it means when I have sex with my partner, he is the person having sex, I'm not.
5: Right. I think to unpack the link between your sexual feelings for you being quite intrinsically and potentially disturbingly related to childhood, I'd recommend going and chatting with a great counsellor about that. I'm sure you have spoken about this with your partner, but if you are able to, then it would be really brilliant for them to be able to understand your point of view. Um, Apart from that, can I ask, what genitals does your partner have? A penis. That makes life kind of a little bit easier in some ways. I think often foreplay... I hate the term foreplay, by the way, because I think it frames intercourse as the main event of sex when it doesn't have to be. I don't use that voice in the bedroom, by (laughs) the way. I think foreplay often focuses on women, but in your case, it might be useful to focus the foreplay more on your male partner so that when he is absolutely at the cusp of about to explode, then you can have penetrative sex if you want to. Have you heard of Tenga eggs? No. (laughs) I am about to suggest that you use a yolk to wank off your bloke. Okay, these are a Japanese toy. We spoke earlier about how in the UK male masturbation toys are viewed with some stigma. But in Japan, there is this brand called Tenga who make toys for people with penises that don't look like vaginas. In fact, they work with uh, quite highbrow artists. They've done a, a range of toys with Keith Haring, for example. Uh, they have their own energy drink over there. They're really normalised as a company.
0: And they've just... <laughs> Your, <face. laughs> Your face. I just. I've mean, just. Honestly, I've just got off a plane, and it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. They have their own. They have their own energy yeah. drink. I mean, it's been quite a lot for me to come out and talk about my own orgasms, and now I feel like I'm hearing about an egg with an energy drink that I have to buy for my partner. Well, these Japanese toys—they're trying to uh, push them in the UK,
5: and one of the most popular ones it looks like a little silicone egg. It's soft and stretchy and squidgy, and it's got a hole in the bottom. And what you, how you use it is you pour a little bit of lubricant into the hole, pop it on the end of your partner's knob, where it will look uncomfortably like a squid about to eat. So, <laughs> so you have to kind of get over that, unless you're into tentacle erotica, in which case your dreams have just come true. And then if you or he use your hand to slide that up and down his shaft, like you were giving him a normal hand job, What's different about this is inside each egg, there's a different type of texture. So some of them are knobbly, some of them are wavy, some of them have ridges.
6: I'm really sorry I brought it up, Deborah.
5: No, no, I'm, no I'm, I'm delighted. It's a great way of you being able to give him a new form of pleasure that's likely to get him very excited very quickly, and then you can literally and figuratively meet in the middle when you're both ready to roll. Mm. Um, so that might be one solution If you want to, let's talk afterwards about others. Do we have any
0: other burning questions? Yes.
5: If you have a burning
0: question, please go to a G-U-I-M. We might need to refer to you over here. Yes.
2: Hiya. So I kind of have the opposite problem to Catherine, in that um, I've never had sex, but I have had quite a few orgasms, courtesy of... Myself. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That that was
5: me fist
2: pumping you for triumph, not trying to suggest that you're fisting yourself. (laughs) (laughs) No, funnily enough, not. Um, That's fine. (laughs) You're into it though. Um, My issue is, is that I'm slightly concerned that I obviously have only got experience with myself and I know very intimately what I like, what I'm used to. My concern is then when I go and start having sex with other people... I don't know what, how, because obviously I know what that feels like. And so I'm concerned that I'll go into it and then it will just be really kind of shit from the beginning because I might not orgasm, I might not be used to it because it's awkward and all that jazz. And I just thought if any of you sort of have any advice. I still feel that way. <laughs> I still
3: feel that way now. And I've had several relationships since having an orgasm. But I, because I started off like doing it myself and I, I feel very comfortable with yeah. that and how I work when I'm doing it myself. But I still, like, in each relationship, I don't feel completely qualified. I'm just going on my (laughs) experience. No, no, it's fine. But but in each relationship, I found it a completely different journey of discovery and um, (laughs) trial and error. And I find low expectations to be Um, crucial. Oh, come (laughs) on. On both sides. And... um, that you get there in really different ways. And so I've found in the sort of long-term relationships that I've had, for one thing, it has taken loads of time and patience. And for me to, I know exactly what you mean, like that pairing, like, well, I I know what I'm doing (laughs) in this scenario, but how does that translate when there's someone else here? Yeah, exactly. um, That's kind of the issue. (laughs) But I've just found that talking about it and really learning each other very well, and I found in each relationship, there have been very different sexual um, practices, different ways in which... You do get each other off, and it's actually varied from person to person. Have you
2: been pretty honest from the beginning about that? Or? Yeah,
3: always, actually, since um, <laughs> the since challenge. The, when I was The two days off from work. Yeah, exactly, this, the uh, intimate two days. Um, yeah, I've found being honest is really, really important, actually, and it does take the pressure, even
0: if it doesn't take the pressure off them, it takes the pressure off you a little bit, is what I've found. I had sex very late because I was in a cold, and so... Um, <laughs> And it wasn't one of the good cults where they encourage it. It was one of the bad cults where they don't allow it. And uh, that's not okay to say, is it? Good cults. I've made out that sex cults are good cults. That was, that was me trying to be flippant, but actually being incredibly insensitive. No, I was a Jehovah's Witness, as I've talked about many times. Have you just punched the air in Sisterly Triumph there? Were you a sister? Excellent. Um, we can talk later obviously not now now, because you have a sleeve tattoo and that is not allowed along with anything fun um so yeah we weren't allowed i wasn't allowed to um i'm straight and i wasn't well i'm sort of slightly going off the whole idea of binary anything i think Mm. gender binary is a bit of a crock as well i mean i think it's impossible with six billion people in the world that we're all going to neatly fit into this one or this one and i think as well with sexuality Women are hot. I mean, of course I want to have sex with a woman. It's just I'm currently in a monogamous relationship with a man. And it's just...
4: This I mean, is where a sex cult might come in
0: handy. No, let's not, let's not. <laughs> I'm not going to turn this podcast into a sex cult, as tempting as that is. Um, what I'm going to say is I wish, because I was a Jehovah's Witness, we weren't allowed to masturbate. Obviously, it's hard for them to police that. But they do it with, like all cults, you self-police and you police each other. Fap re- cops. Uh, <laughs> fat cops, yeah. I remember once being at a young brother's house, as we would call each other, sisters and brothers, and he was probably 18, and he was sharing a flat with his brother, and I saw there was a, a Watchtower article about trying not to masturbate, that he had it all underlined, and he was studying with an elder like having a special weekly Bible study about how not to masturbate. And it wasn't funny for him. Um, But as a woman, I hadn't started masturbating. And because I hadn't started, I hadn't got it going. And so when I've asked my former Jehovah's Witness friends, did you... All the men say yes, obviously we did. And then we just prayed about it. We tried not to and we felt guilty and we'd go through that cycle. But a lot of the women say, no, we never did because we never started. We didn't have a starter for 10, basically. So I started everything very late and I wish I'd done what you've done and got to know yourself before you started with partners. I think that's the greatest thing in the world because I didn't know myself that well when I began. And then I think... You're trying to do it in public almost, like you're trying to do it with an audience before you've had a rehearsal. I mean, I don't know, I'm in show business, that's how I think about it. Yeah,
2: and, and now you've got the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. You take that with you. Just um, I mean do slightly take slightly your to with you. go to somebody else and say, Okay, I know what I'm all about. You do this. they'll love that. They might surprise you. You It might
0: surprise you. They may do things to you, with you, on you, for you, (laughs) that that surprise you and you find new pleasure with them. It's different being with a partner, but sometimes, even though you have a partner, if you do, it is a bit quicker and cleaner and easier to do it yourself, isn't it? I mean, it's less... (laughs) time wasting
5: there are some techniques that you can use to try and teach a partner what you already know so well about yourself you're an expert teacher when it comes to your own pleasure i always say that no one can really have their best sex until they're bbb you've got to be your own best body buddy know yourself and know what works for yourself
0: that sounds unsexy to me best body buddy I'm automatically turned off for the rest of my life just hearing that. Well, to me it sounds a bit like BLT,
5: so sex and bacon, already I am turned off. Have you noticed that a lot of magazines, by the way, make all sex, it's got a sizzle. What is that? It's not a fry-up. Well, Um, Yeah, one thing that you might want to try, if and when you find a partner you feel comfortable doing this with, is actually saying, I'm going to show you what I do to myself. And get them to vocalise what you're doing. If you're into sexy talk, get them to actually say what you're doing. Not only can that be quite an erotic thing to do together, but also I find that it actually goes into somebody's mind a bit better because you're kind of testing
0: them on it. You oh, know? so it's As... like a GCSE quiz. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like flashcards. What do I like? Well, I'm just... a flash. Yeah, like trying to learn French verbs. If
5: you're a bit too shy for that, another technique I've called hide and peek. Ask your partner to leave the room and not come back for 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, you put on the music that makes you feel relaxed, you get yourself in position and you start doing your thing. And then when they're ready, your partner can come back, just open the door a little bit and essentially spy on you. And it can help you feel like you're alone, so you don't feel quite so much like they're right there and, you know, staring... Right into inside you in a gynecological manner, and for them it can be erotic because they feel like they're witnessing something quite personal and private, and that can be very exciting. So that works for some people, but like with many sex things, no one thing is going to suit everybody. So what do you think of that, Rachel? that Sort of. <laughs> Why make... are you looking at? I
3: don't know. Asking just... me as though you're like, I will definitely have an opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to sort of tie it all at you're the like, end. Like, much, well, really. Rachel seems like a natural voyeur. Uh, so. <laughs> ah. um, yeah. I think that sounds quite nice, but uh, I
0: I like to know if someone's definitely there or not.
3: <laughs>
0: I'd want a heads up. Yeah. I'd want a heads up. What about a webcam in the other room? Okay, <laughs> yeah, that might be. That's, that that would not be a fine. bad idea. Yeah. Bad idea. Yeah. What can we call that? The the web and Deb. <laughs> My favorite <laughs> thing
3: about this podcast, the which the Ham listeners cam. can't enjoy, is. Deb's facial expressions yeah, it's, all the way through all of these sexual practices has been absolutely hilarious. I, just,
0: I find it hard. I sometimes think, what do I do with my face? You know, and sort of like when I'm hearing something like that. Because I think I've probably got quite a low embarrassment threshold for this kind of thing. Yeah, I and I wish well. I didn't. If you push the boundaries, you find that new place. And I think, I wish I was more Tulula Bankhead, more hedonistic, and I was sort of running little mini orgies out of my flat. If I were doing that, like, I'd just be in it, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really comfortable on stage, for example. That's a lovely, fun, relaxing, wonderful place for me to be most of the time. I wish I was more like that about sex, and I think probably orgies are the answer.
3: What you're clearly saying is that you want to
0: start a sex cult. That is so obvious. Cult is too strong. Sect. (laughs) A sex sect. And you said backstage, you were going to say something about transgender experience, which I just wanted to ask you about.
5: There are more and more transgender toys on the market actually now. Sex toys which are specifically designed for people with trans bodies. There's quite a famous trans man porn actor called Buck Angel who's recently produced a toy for people who have enlarged clitorises and there's also a great company in the UK called Hot Octopus. They made this revolutionary toy called The Pulse, and it was marketed as the world's first vibrator, a vibrator specifically designed for people with penises. What's great about it is you don't have to be able to get an erection to use it. It can give people who either are suffering from erectile dysfunction or who have nerve damage or other forms of disability that mean getting a hard on is hard, it can still give them orgasmic feelings and... They are about to launch their
0: first toy that can be used for people with vaginas. So that's exciting. Wonderful. And you said also there was some kind of, um, if people are disabled, there was some kind of orgasm you could have through your scalp.
5: Yes. Uh, I am good friends with a group of strippers who work specifically with people who have very advanced forms of paralysis, who are paralysed from the neck down. They also work with people who have visual impairments or are completely blind and other sensory impairments. One thing that one of these strippers does is that she wears very tactile clothes, so like a feather boa or uh, she's got a bikini that has different materials on each tit, so that when she's working with blind clients, they know what they're feeling according to the sensation of the material. And she anoints herself with different scents at different points on her body. I think there's a lot that we can all learn about sensory experience as humans, it's quite imaginative it's something that we can apply to our own sex lives perhaps and yeah there are also strippers and sex workers who are working with people with severe disabilities who've learned to give very very delicate head massages and scalp massages and pinpoint nerve endings across the skull that can result in pleasurable feelings that are akin to an orgasm
0: great so that's the opener for my orgy yeah is because that's a that's a sort of unembarrassing we can all do it with our clothes on the scalp orgasm yeah I'm going to find out how to do that Rachel and I'm going to invite you over
3: I am there (laughs) I could see the way you turned to me then like the way in cartoons they have dollar signs in their eyes you just had like a sort of vibrator in your eye I did I
0: did that would be Um, painful absolutely Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yes, I do.
4: <laughs>
3: oh, my God, I didn't even get that. Um, yes, I do. I'm doing a musical comedy and stand-up comedy show called Keynote, and it touches on all sorts of themes, from giving speeches and feminism and everything, really. Um, and that's on at the Edinburgh Fringe, if you're going up at all, from the 3rd to the 28th of August. Also, I'll be up there with a show called Ostentatious, which is on at 1.30 every day as well.
5: And um, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter.
3: I'm at Rachel Paris on Twitter. Please do get in touch. I'd love to hear
0: from you. I'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Alex, do you have anything to plug?
5: Yes. Please do follow me on Twitter. It's Alex with one eye, like Cyclops, and then Fox, like the animal that goes through your bins. I do a podcast with Ollie Mann called The Modern Man, where I have a section called The Foxhole, where every single week I answer people's sex and relationship questions. If you have a question you'd like to ask, you can go to modernmann.co.uk and click Feedback. I also do a podcast called Close Encounters. Season two is coming soon and i implore you if you would like some really solid sex advice no matter your age check out brooke's new revamped website it's also a really good place for resources for anybody who works with young people we've got loads of free
0: workshops and
5: free training courses and brooke are doing fantastic work
0: Wonderful. And the thing I have to plug, we did a special podcast recording at our leadership day, people paid to come on the leadership day. Every other podcast is just out on the normal feed on Monday. But if you want this one, which is about negotiating, and our guest was a hostage negotiator, you have to pay £5. That £5 then will go into the kitty to make future events more affordable for a wider variety of people. And it's also a way to support the podcast. We don't do Patreon We don't do advertising. It's completely free at point of use, although thank you all for coming and buying a ticket today. Um, Also, please go to Global Pillage, globalpillage.net, which is my diversity-based comedy panel show. And if someone got a charity that they would like to promote and collect for tonight. Yes, somebody over there. Could you tell us your charity? What's your name?
2: My name's Daisy.
0: Daisy, and what's your charity?
2: So in the theme of knowing your own body, uh, I work for a charity called Cop A Feel, we're a breast cancer awareness charity,
4: <laughs> <laughs> Copperfield.
2: Uh, so we try and raise awareness to get young people and women and men to know their own bodies and trust their own touch. And so, yeah, we go out into festivals and universities and we have a wonderful team of boobettes who have been affected by breast cancer who have had experiences in going to workplaces And so, yeah, we just want to keep spreading the word. Super.
0: So Copperfield today, if you want to donate some money to Copperfield on the way out, there'll be someone at that door and someone at that door. They're raising money to raise awareness, to get to know your own body, so that if you do have breast cancer or similar, you know the signs. Follow The Guilty
3: Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com slash feminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, our host, Rachel Barris. Special guest Alex Fox. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zalitsky from Spot and Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah from PBJ Live and everyone at The Underbelly, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. See you at the bar. Bye. Somebody's in the wrong show. <laughs> no? Somebody didn't know it was going to be about orgasms. No? What's happening? Because no, if they were going to the loo, I'd get that, but she's taken all of her bags, including her shopping. <laughs> Genuinely need to know what that was. No. I don't know. The babysitter texted. My friend was in... We did this, did this show in L.A. with Rachel Bloom yeah. from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. My friend was in the audience, and she said, I was enjoying it so much, my babysitter texted me... Sally is in bed she said I quickly looked down and misread it as Sally's dead and she said I thought oh that's got to be a typo and just kept and kept she said she said I've honestly got a text saying my child was dead and I thought I'm just having such a nice time I'm sure it's not accurate